Um, I'll say bless the Lord if you can respond by saying, oh my soul, bless the Lord, bless his holy name. Hey, you guys sound great, by the way. Um, I, I, I personally enjoy it sometimes when we can scale it back uh, so that you guys can push it forward. Uh, your voice sounds incredible um, as a congregation and as a people, and I love hearing you guys worship um, through prayer and praise. Uh, so thank you so much. What, what a gift. And uh, thanks for those of you who were here last week. Um, Dr. Smith, did I tell you? Right? Oh, man. Uh, oof. I had to tell someone, I don't know if I'm encouraged or discouraged after he preaches. Um, and then anybody go home and think, man, maybe I need to memorize some more scripture. Uh, so thanks a lot for that, Dr. Smith. We love you. Um, but I was delighted to worship with you guys and uh, sit underneath this teaching. And thank you. That was a special gift uh, for me to be able to share uh, with you guys. Um, so we're back in our series, God Is. Um, and the theologian R.C. Sproul was asked one time, what do you think the greatest spiritual need in the world today is? And he responded with, people need to understand God's identity. I thought that was a pretty powerful statement. Um, I, I'm enjoying this time of year, and as I look around, I, I wish the leaves were just a little bit brighter, but I understand we've had a little bit of a drought. Um, I had to mow my yard uh, on Saturday, and it wasn't so much mowing as it was mulching some of the leaves, um, but it felt like the Dust Bowl of the 1920s. Um, I actually don't know when the Dust Bowl was. I just made that date up for any of you <laughs> fact checkers and history jerks. Um, but uh, it's usually uh, drought time is, are you reminded, hey, there's a burning ban. You try to be a little bit more careful. And this is usually some of the times when you see some of the fires in California start to rage out of control. Um, and it usually never fails. There's some sort of photograph that will usually emerge or a news story about a homeowner who refuses to leave in the sight of overwhelming flames. And then there's usually, the, it's usually that homeowner, there may be a certain personality type, I'm not really sure, but they're the ones that are usually out there with the garden hose trying to fight a forest fire, right? Have you seen these? Where they're just like, <laughs> trying to get after it? Or even more sad, sometimes there's someone just like with a bucket, and as the flames are encroaching on their property line, they're just shoveling it like this and running back and filling it up, shoveling it like this and running back and filling it up. I don't know why sometimes that image is inspiring to me about the fortitude, but I think also sometimes for us it's a picture for how we feel spiritually, that there's circumstances and there's flames approaching on our property lines and our boundary lines and in our lives. Anybody ever use this language after a day of work? I just spent my whole day putting out fires. You ever get to a place where you didn't even get to put the fire out? where you felt it was just like a Dixie cup with water, and at five o'clock you just ran, so you weren't gonna get scorched to death. And sometimes there are relationships and circumstances that seem like they're burning out of control, and the best you have sometimes revealed in your faith and your understanding of God is a bucket of his identity that you're trying to toss into overwhelming circumstances in the midst of personal inadequacy. And so part of my pastoral heartbeat behind this series is, 
I, I want us, when we walk out of this room, not to be thinking in buckets or garden hoses, but I want us to be thinking about God in terms of waterfalls and oceans and tidal waves so that God can drown us in how good he is and how great he is and a better understanding of who he is and how he relates to us allows us to face the trials and temptations, the ones that we can see coming and the ones that we never saw coming. And so two weeks ago, we looked at the, in Isaiah that God was holy, and we said that God was holy, unique, distinct, sacred, set apart, and other, and that God is different so that we can make a difference. And tonight, I want us to take a look at the simple phrase that God is redeemer and why that means so much. And so in the words of my good friend, Neil McClendon, who always tells me when I'm preaching, get the plow in the ground, Chris, um, which means get into scripture as quickly as possible so that your personality and your stories don't overwhelm uh, what you're here for. I want to get the plow on the ground. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Isaiah 44. And I want to read a couple verses here, and I want you to be looking out for the context that sets up the fact that God is Redeemer. We're in Isaiah 44. While you're turning there, just a little bit of context. In the the book of Isaiah, it's the prophet um, who's speaking on behalf of God, and it's been 39 chapters of straight judgment and consequences for the sins and transgressions of Israel. The children of God have turned their back. They're following false idols. They have not done what the Lord has asked them. They have betrayed their covenant vows. They have not been a faithful bride. And now God is pronouncing the judgment and the consequences to those decisions. But in chapter 40, it takes a turn. And he begins not to act like those things didn't happen, but he says that he's going to redeem those and he's going to comfort them. He's going to start talking about a suffering servant. He's going to start laying down some framework for what his son Jesus is going to do. And here we're going to hear the fact that God is and has redeemed Israel. So read with me in verse 21, and I'll pray before we read that. Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Verse 21. Remember these things, O Jacob, for you are my servant, O Israel. I have made you. You are my servant, O Israel. I will not forget you. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing for joy, O heavens, for the Lord has done this. Shout aloud, O earth beneath. Burst in the song, you mountains, you forests, and all you trees. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob. He displays his glory in Israel. I'll say the word of the Lord, and if you'll say thanks be to God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So God is redeemer. That's an incredible word. It comes from the Hebrew word ga'al. It simply means to buy back. You'll find this concept woven through the fabric of Israel's history. In Leviticus chapter 25, it literally refers to redeeming a piece of property. You buy it back so you can return it to its rightful owner. You also hear hints of this with Ruth's story, her kinsman redeemer, to buy back to return her to a rightful family and place in the lineage of her former husband. This is also a term that would be used to purchase back a family member who had been sold into slavery or indentured servanthood. You would go to the market and you would pay, you would redeem, you would buy back their freedom. And so God here is redeemer for Israel. 
And uh, first of all, it's good news and it's bad news when we talk about God as Redeemer. Um, the bad news is, is that a price has to be paid. That sin has consequences, that we are separated from God, that by nature we are objects of wrath, and a price has to be paid in order for us to rede- be redeemed. The good news is, is that God's paying that price. We know from the New Testament that it's going to be Jesus who sacrifices and redeems us back. But in this section here, as you see this foreshadowed, I just think there's just three simple things that uh, God brought you here tonight to remind you of. The the first thing that I can't get over, and if I'm making too much of a big deal of this um, with names, uh, I don't think God's like me when he calls his kids by the wrong names. Like, hey, how do you get Maggie? No, who are you? Yes, I know your last name's Brooks. I just can't remember your first one. Come here, please. He calls him Jacob and then Israel. But listen to this. He says, he just wants to remind him, hey, remember these things, O Jacob. You're my servant, O Israel. I wonder if subtly God's calling to mind, hey, remember this guy named Jacob? This deceiver, this heel grabber, this trickster, this shyster? Who didn't belong where he belonged and who lied his entire life to try to get ahead and then encountered me in a divine wrestling match and I changed his name and his destiny. Hey, remember where you've come from, but never forget who I've called you to be. So I think that's a great interplay because some of us, I think, um, we just can only concentrate on who we've been and we can't see who God's calling us to be. And some of us see who God's calling us to be, but like Second Peter says, sometimes you're nearsighted and blind and forgotten the forgiveness of your sins. So I think those are just an incredible combination that he wants to remind us, hey, remember who you are and remember who I'm calling you to be. And then he reminds us that he's not forgotten us and he forgives us. I've made you. You're my servant, O Israel. I will not forget you. And I know at the end of the talk, we take 120 seconds to make sure you can internalize what had your name on it tonight, what God wanted to speak directly to you. But I could probably stop right there. And this is the one scripture that I think a handful of you in this room need to specifically hear from the lips of your father. I have not forgotten you. I don't know what fire is raging. I don't know how small your bucket is. But you need to remember the Lord has not forgotten you. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like a morning mist. Not only has he not forgotten us, he has forgiven us. And that's an incredible aspect of being able to redeem us. And then here's the, here's the sentence for me. Here, here's what just jumps off at the text in 3D to me. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. He wants to remind us that no matter where you're at in your journey, no matter how, times you've, how many times you've fallen, no matter how many times you picked up that old habit, no matter where you walked into tonight, you can return to God because he has redeemed you. He's paid a price to buy you back. Some of you are okay with Jesus saving you, but you need faith that he's redeeming you. And tonight, God's buying back again and saying, come back, son. Come back, daughter. It's okay. I have redeemed you. And the natural outcome of that, when you return and remember that you've been redeemed and he is redeeming you, is you sing and you shout, right? There's this great praise chorus that kind of breaks out. Sing for joy, O heavens, shout aloud, right? Burst into song, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob. He displays his glory in Israel. 
Isn't it great to think that the Lord wants to display his glory in and through us? In the people in this room, God wants to tell your story. And I, I don't know about you, but do you just sit back and shake your head sometimes and remember where you've come from? I think a lot of times we don't give ourselves enough credit for all the ways that God is and has redeemed us. I have to remind myself a lot of times, I'm just an ADD kid from the mountains of Pennsylvania with impulse control problems, a fractured relationship with his father, and a taste for sin and rebellion. And there have been times when I tried to follow God half-heartedly. There have been other times when I ran as hard and fast as I could from him. And there are times when I look in the mirror and go, how did I get here? How do I deserve the life that I'm living? It doesn't mean there's not challenges. It doesn't mean there's not huge obstacles. It doesn't mean there's not sickness and death and tragedy. It doesn't mean that I have so much money I don't know what to do with it. What it means is I can't get over the fact that God didn't forget me, that he forgave me, and he loves me, and he's redeemed me, and I can return to him anytime I want when I stray away. So, um, see if I can give the, an object illustration for this. Do you guys know what this is? Something that makes me curse, correct. Um, so, uh, I just inherited my father's-in-law, his Jeep. And so, it's, it's a 2000 um, Wrangler, so it's great. Um, it's been so good for my soul with the fall weather uh, to be able to take the top off and the doors off. I don't know why wind just ministers to my soul. Um, maybe it's because I just need peace and quiet. I don't, I don't know what it is, but uh, it's truly a spiritual experience sometimes for me until I have to fill it up with gas. But <laughs> I, the, we, we, we just got it up from Cairo, and um, we bring it into the house. The kids go nuts because they know it is Popsicle's Jeep. That's what they call my father-in-law, um, Popsicle. And so we're in it, Maggie, Christopher, all jumping around, swinging from the, the roll bar or whatever. They think it's because you roll around it, not because... It may roll over and we'll all die, but <laughs> we're, we've got it home where the kids are in it for 30 seconds. This is hanging up, and Maggie goes, Oh! <laughs> Seriously, Maggie? Seriously. Thanks. No cinnamon crust crunch for you, okay? <laughs> so, what? Well, I wish I was the fix-it guy. I'm not. I'm the frustrated I have to fix-it guy, okay? And the, when the doors are off, it, the side view mirrors are attached to that. So I'm literally driving to work with a stick shift doing this number, trying to shift, go like this, hold the wheel, do this. Is there anybody behind me? I, I get paranoid. Is someone tailing me? Do I need to move over? The interstate's really nerve-wracking. I just go off to the right and just kind of hide while 18-wheelers are passing me by, and I'm like, well, I see you. Finally, Saturday comes, and I, I drag my kids to Vance Auto Parts. We get the whole deal. I you know, glue it. Apparently, it's some kind of epoxy where you better not touch it or it'll be on your hand for the rest of your life. I put it up. I do it. Get it done. Go to hang it up. Realize I've glued that thing upside down. <laughs> Another 20-minute drive to Vance Auto Parts. Audrey's giving me looks that are, are very shaming. Um, and true. Uh, come back, another $15, $20 uh, for another kit. Chip it off, put it on, find, get it just right, hang it up like this, let it sit for 30 minutes, 
get in the car, start it up, go to adjust it, boom, it pops right off. I throw that freaking thing down and go, that's it, I'm done. I don't care. I don't care what's behind me. I'm so disgusted with myself. And Maggie, this is all your fault, right? Are you like me? When you've done things wrong, you find someone else to blame? Because um, I just don't like to take responsibility. So it, that, I, I, I promise you, it was like that for four weeks as I was so frustrated. And then finally, we, we drove by an advanced auto parts store, and I felt like the Lord was saying, return to me. Um, <laughs> give it another shot, Chris. I'm like, okay. Go in, finally get it attached. It's on. And I'm talking for the last four days, it's been wonderful. I've been a safe driver. I'm, I'm checking the, who's behind me, where we're at, how's my beard look, all that good stuff. We're great. Saturday comes. Kids are outside playing. I'll play popsicle cheap. Go for it. It's awesome. Walk out. What's laying on the floor? This. I come in the house. So I immediately blame Margaret because she's usually the guilty one. Maggie Crew Brooks, did you do this? Tell me the truth, right? All my kids lie. When they all lie. It's default. It's just default. So I try to anticipate it and come at it different angles. Did you do I go, Stern, it's okay. You can tell me the truth. You can. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Did you do it? You did it. You did it. I try not to lie when I'm trying to catch them in a lie. Like say, I saw you. See if they'll crack because that's kind of like bad parenting. But she decides Christopher's done it. I said, Christopher, did you do that? He's three years old. He's like, no, daddy, Ty did it. And Ty's his best bud, and he was in the Jeep. But I've noticed this about Christopher when he lies. When he immediately knows who did it, it's him. Because he's blamed the cat for things before. <laughs> who, who did that to the TV? Ollivander, I saw him do it. Yeah, great, okay, come here, buddy. <laughs> So I walk him out, and I, I open up the door, and I sit down on the side of the Jeep. I said, now, Christopher, you, you saw Ty break the rearview mirror off? Now, are you sure, buddy? Listen, you can tell Daddy the truth. It's okay. I just don't want to make sure that you're telling me the truth, and you can trust me with it, okay? I'm not angry. I'm not upset. I just want to hear you say the truth. Did Ty do this? Did you do it? <laughs> My instinct as a father was go, come here, son. Return to me. It's okay. I got another $18. <laughs> you don't have a college fund, but I have another $18. <laughs> come here, buddy. Daddy's so proud of you. Look. I always want you to tell the truth and you can always come back to me. It's okay. And then I, just, I started to sing and shout. I'm like, I'm so proud of you. High five. You told the truth. You finally told the truth and the truth is awesome. And we celebrated a little bit. I want the joy of telling the truth to overwhelm the consequences of his sin and hiding. Now that's a great cute story. And I believe there's some paternal stuff with God as redeemer in here. But here's where that metaphor breaks down. When you and I have not innocently broken something and are ashamed of it. But when you and I have spit in God's face. When you and I have cursed him behind his back. And when you and I have run as far and as fast as we possibly could from anything that resembles God.
even then, he says, return to me, for I have redeemed you. No matter where you're at tonight, you can return because he has redeemed you. Because I think a lot of times we get caught up in this, whether we say we believe the gospel or not, we kind of put our actions and attitudes on a scale. And if we've messed up a lot, we try to go, okay, God, well, I'm just going to try to do some really, really good stuff now. And that'll kind of all even out, right? And even those who don't claim Christianity, if there is an agreement of an afterlife and you ask them, how, how do you determine whether you get to go to heaven, most people would say, if I'm a really, really good person. And that, to our minds, our modern minds, that sounds kind of logical, doesn't it? But what it does is it subverts the authority and the truth of scripture. And it says this, I don't need to be redeemed. I can buy back my own transgressions by the way that I work them off. Because at the end of the day, my pride can't handle humbling myself and asking my Father to redeem me. It's in our nature. The biblical doctrine of sin is that we were born into brokenness and that we turn against ourselves and our brothers. And that left to our own devices, no matter how educated, how wealthy, how autistic we get, we will destroy one another and we will rebel against God. But the truth is, is that God still runs to us and awakens our hearts and our lives to the reality that the with life God is possible. Uh, I'm going to use two uh, fables to kind of close it out and illustrate this point for us. Um, I think one of them is an Aesop fable. Maybe you've heard them before, but um, have you heard of the scorpion and the frog? Scorpion and a frog meet on the bank of a stream and the scorpion asks the frog to carry him across on its back. The frog asks, how do I know you won't sting me? Scorpion says, because if I do, I will die too. The frog satisfied, they set out, but in midstream, the scorpion stings the frog. The frog feels the onset of the paralysis and starts to sink. Knowing they will both drown, he has but one last breath to gasp. Why? Replies the scorpion, it's my nature. We're the scorpion. And it's our nature to sting. And even if it kills us, we will kill other people. That's fallen humanity. That's how ugly our sin is. When we get in the presence of a holy God, do you remember the last time you got a good whiff of your own depravity and said, why in the world did I do that? Or... You said, I know why I did that, and I know it's wrong, and I don't care. But there's another tale, and I, in my mind, I'd like to link them to two minutes later. And this is the old man and the scorpion. Passing a stream, an old man saw a scorpion floating helplessly in the water. As the scorpion was washed closer to the tree, the old man quickly stretched out himself on one of the long roots that branched out into the river. And he reached out to rescue the drowning creature. As soon as he touched it, the scorpion stung him. And instinctively, the man withdrew his hand. A minute later, he regained his balance. And he stretched himself out again on the roots to save the scorpion. 
This time the scorpion stung him so badly with all of its poisonous tail that his hand had become swollen and bloody and his face contorted with pain. At that moment, a passerby saw the old man stretched out on the roots, struggling with the scorpion and shouted, Hey, what's wrong with you? Only a fool would risk his life for the sake of an ugly, evil creature. Don't you know you could kill yourself by trying to save that ungrateful scorpion? Without taking his eyes off the scorpion, the old man replied, My friend, just because it is the scorpion's nature to sting, that does not change my nature to save. Just because we sting, and just because we rebel, and just because that's in our nature, that doesn't change our Father's nature to redeem us and to save us and to extend his hand out time and time again. So much so that on the cross, Jesus took the stinger out of death and it will no longer have the final say so. And God will ultimately redeem all things in the full and final resurrection. And scripture tells us that this is clearly true. Romans 5, 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We know Colossians or Galatians 4, 5 tells us that he bought us back for freedom. And to paraphrase the next sentence, it's so that we would no longer have to be slaves, but that we could be sons and daughters. And we know that 1 Corinthians 5.19 says that we have received the Holy Spirit from God. So you do not belong to yourself because you have been bought and redeemed with a price. Amen? So let's take 120 seconds. And I want you to answer this question. Again, it's under the banner of what do I think God is saying to me and what do I need to do about it? Again, I would highly encourage you guys to get into the habit of writing this down and taking notes on your own life or else it'll evaporate. What's the one thing in your life you need God to redeem right now? Maybe in your prayer as you listen to the Lord, first tell him exactly what you need him to redeem. And then listen in as the Father says, return to me, for I have redeemed you.